business perspective. Did I say perspective right? Perspective. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do that one more time. Let me just get a sip of water. Sean Lahav is fresh out of grad school. I'm 24, turning 25 in February. But already he's reached the point in his career where he's in charge of coordinating resilience efforts for all of Northeast Florida. This is the ADAPT Podcast. I'm Brandon Rivers, a reporter at WJCT News in Jacksonville, Florida. ADAPT is our online magazine about what people in Northeast Florida are doing to adapt to sea level rise and climate change. And in this podcast, we're hearing from some of them about where they've been and what keeps them going. Sean is the resiliency coordinator for something called the Northeast Florida Regional Council. We'll hear more about what it does in a minute. But first, what is resilience? You're always going to get a different answer depending on who you ask. So if you're looking at a transportation planner, for example, they might be concerned with the resilience of a road system or a network of road systems with something like sea level rise. Or an urban planner might think about keeping houses above water. But he really likes the definition of resilience from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So let's say you have a system. In this case, we'll call it Jacksonville. So on a routine basis, uh, like today, everyone's going to work. The economy is functioning smoothly. It's normal. But then a shock comes into the system, like a hurricane event. So once the shock occurs, the system loses function. The resilience piece is how do we return the system, in this case Jacksonville, back to full functionality, how do we learn from that event so when we look into the future at the next shock, which is going to be inevitable, how do we learn from that to reduce the curve? So when the next shock comes along, we don't lose as much functionality and we move forward at a steady rate. All right. And so what exactly is a resiliency coordinator? What do you do? Similar to a chief resilience officer for, let's say, a city or a state, my responsibilities are focused on getting people in the same room to, first of all, talk about these issues. Then there's this educational component and really putting all of the pieces together. So a big focus of my position, if we're taking kind of a pyramid approach, is to look at resilience from a community perspective, first of all, and say, what steps need to be taken to make our community more resilient? So that starts with public awareness. So recently, I designed a set of initiatives to, first of all, educate the public about what we're doing. So that starts with a business continuity presentation focused on economic resilience. We work with Rotary Clubs and other similar groups on the ground to talk about what small business owners can do to make their businesses more resilient to natural hazards. So purchasing flood insurance, raising your HVAC systems, backing up your data, things like that. So it's very tangible and it kind of plants seeds in people's heads. Here he is speaking to the Rotary Club of Palatka last month. With the sea level rise and the big picture things, nothing will ever happen unless elected officials and government understand it. And they listen to constituents. So if this is a priority for you as a community or as individuals, tell your elected officials. They're willing to talk about it. Then we move up the pyramid into this presentation focused on building community resilience. So how can community leaders actually implement solutions in their own backyards? And then from there, we partnered with Taylor Engineering on this adaptation solutions presentation that goes over all of the solutions that communities can adopt 
in efforts to become more resilient. There's protection strategies where you completely block something from coming in, let's say water. Then there's accommodation, like living shorelines. So instead of saying no water is allowed, let the water come in, but learn how to divert the water into natural areas. And then there's also concepts related to avoidance. So don't build in a particular place if it's going to be exposed to flooding. And then there's also managed relocation in some regards in areas, let's say in St. John's County and parts of Nassau County, uh, some homeowners have no other option at this point because of sand dunes fading away and roads fading away that they might have to leave. So there's government buyout options and things like that. If we go to the crux and the top of the pyramid, we designed a public workshop focused on asking community members what's important to them. What are the problems facing your community? Is it storm surge? Is it sunny day flooding? Uh, are you more concerned with silver eyes or hurricanes? W- what's the, the issue area in your community? And from there, we organize community members into groups where we work on map activities, where citizens take sticky notes, identify on a map what's important to them. And then we help facilitate dialogue to create strategies to protect those assets. So all of these services that we're offering at the Northeast Florida Regional Council related to resilience, we're offering completely for free to community groups that are interested in the seven-county region. That work is paid for by taxpayers. Cities and counties in Northeast Florida pay dues to belong to the Regional Council, one of the 10 planning councils in the state. They help local governments not only with emergency and disaster preparedness, but also with economic development and other issues. Let's talk about you. So I was looking at your LinkedIn profile before we sat down, and you've got an extremely impressive resume for someone your age, and it kind of makes me wonder what I've been doing with my life. So tell me about yourself and how you got to this point in your career. So I'm a byproduct of two different states. I grew up in South Florida down in Boynton Beach, and I also lived in Cape Cod, Massachusetts for portions of my childhood. My parents operated a seasonal retail business in South Florida, specifically in Big Pine Key down in the Florida Keys, but also in Massachusetts. So what South Florida and Cape Cod have in common is this geography that is extremely vulnerable to coastal hazards. So in Cape Cod, there's nor'easters and extreme snow events. And then in South Florida, it's the obvious hurricanes, tropical cyclones. Sean's dad would completely board up his house with metal shutters. I remember one hurricane in the early 2000s. My parents just installed this new screen room on the house. We were in the home listening to this violent wind coming from every direction outside of the house. And the screen room was completely ripped off of the house. And we heard it, and it was a pretty scary sound. And then once the storm passed, uh, we walked around the neighborhood, and our screen room was five streets down the neighborhood. Uh, So it just showed you how powerful Mother Nature was in that essence. Like many Floridians, Sean has lots of memories like this. Flooded streets, downed power lines, his grandparents evacuating to his house. And when we would come back and return to their, their, their mobile home park, just complete devastation. Uh, a lot of people's lives were turned completely upside down. But again, I just thought this was a routine part of life. A hurricane even threatened his parents' livelihood, flooding a cargo trailer full of inventory for their store worth thousands of dollars. And that had a big impact on their business for the year. So on a personal note, when I think of resilience, uh, I really think about small business owners, and what it means to them. 
if they're impacted by, let's say, a storm event like a hurricane, it can have a really devastating long-term outlook on their life and business. When Sean was in college, he spent a lot of time in nature, even going on three months of off-the-grid expeditions in places like Wyoming in the middle of winter. I just started developing a real interest in uh, how the environment affects society, how we, how we look at the environment, how we look at natural places. Do we protect them? Do we utilize them? I don't really know how I ended up in Jacksonville, <laughs> if it was just pointing at somewhere on a map, but I heard really good things about the University of North Florida, and I have to say it was probably the best decision I ever made. I really found a, a great community here in Northeast Florida. So when I arrived in Jacksonville, maybe several months after being here, I started talking to the UNF Environmental Center, and they were looking for a student to work on this video series to promote the natural parks in Northeast Florida, specifically in Duval County. Mm -hmm. And this was under their environmental leadership program, which was a new program in the works to connect students with community partners to work on actual projects. He ended up producing 20 videos on Duval County's parks. And later as a public administration master's student, he got another opportunity through the UNF Environmental Center. The city of Atlantic Beach was looking for help as it pursued LEED certification. You've probably heard of LEED as it relates to green, environmentally friendly buildings, but the idea is now being applied to whole communities. When Atlantic Beach got certified with Sean's help, he put together a case study on the process, and the U.S. Green Building Council is holding up his case study as it tries to get other local governments around Florida to pursue LEED certification. Five days before graduation, Sean was offered the job at the Regional Council. At the Northeast Florida Regional Council, our main objective right now is to raise public awareness about these issues. We want to make sure that the public understands what government is looking at. And we also believe that this has to be a team sport. So government will not be able to fix this issue alone. Nonprofits won't either. And as well as the business community, this has to be a multidiscipline, holistic activity. Are there any unique challenges we face in Northeast Florida? What we're seeing recently in 2016 and then 2017 with Matthew and Irma, there's a lot of water here. And we love in Northeast Florida to live on the water. So we have the Atlantic Ocean, the Intracoastal, and the St. Johns River. And we've built homes, we've developed our businesses all along these waterways. It's important to us. We look at it as a sacred entity, these waterways. But in addition to that, we're starting to realize that water levels are rising and we're seeing things in San Marco, for instance, like nuisance flooding, where the sky is blue, we're not having a storm event, and you have flooding in the streets. So I think some of these hazards are starting to become more visible when in the past they haven't been. So I met one individual two weeks ago who said that the pipe leading to an ice maker in their home, there was a high tide and the water from the river pushed through that pipe into the ice maker, flooding the kitchen. <laughs> so what's happening in essentially San Marco, let's say you have a stormwater system that doesn't have a backflow valve on it. Mm -hmm. Water during high tide is going to clog that system, push all of the water back up through the pipe 
and flood whatever's on the other end. So there are preventative steps that can be taken, like backflow valves. Which I think they've started to install in St. Augustine. Yes. So water can only go one way and it can't come back. So I think that's an example of a solution to protect ourselves against rising seas, but it's just one of many solutions out there. Given what we know about sea level rise and flooding and and hurricanes, why, why do people keep building and developing in risky coastal areas? We are attracted to waterways because of the benefits that are produced for us by living there. There's transportation, so we ship and receive goods from ports. That has to do with waterways. We can, on the Mississippi River, for instance, go up and down. It was a communication element back in the day. So there's not just this intrinsic value of, or the straightforward attitude that we're living on the water just because it's beautiful. I think that uh, naturally as humans, we've always been attracted to water for agriculture and all sorts of other reasons. And I think that's why cities are located where they are. So I want to put this out there that, especially coming from the Northeast Florida Regional Council, that economic development is very important to us. We believe that it's one of the most important parts of developing a safe, healthy, and vibrant community. But on the other hand, it doesn't have to be just a focus on build, build, build. So we have to start looking at how do we balance development with environmental protection? How do we build in the right places? And when we do build, how do we build more resiliently? So if we're looking at uh, any number of development projects, let's say in Jacksonville, and sea level rise becomes a concern in a specific area, The perspective is not to just say, don't develop. It's saying, okay, if you're going to build this, let's factor Silverize into your design plan. This is the Adapt Podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Jessica Palumbo, the editor of Adapt. So adaptation to sea level rise in Northeast Florida is personal for me because I rode out Hurricane Irma in a neighborhood that flooded when I was nine months pregnant, got rescued by boat. And like most of us, I still live and work and shop in areas that are close to the St. Johns River and the beach. As flooding and other issues are only expected to get worse, our community is looking to adapt for information and answers. And since we launched last year, we've heard from readers who are happy they can find them in a single place. That's at adaptflorida.org. The Adapt Podcast is a production of WJCT Public Media. Financial support for Adapt comes from our readers and listeners, with additional support from the Arthur Vining Davis Foundations and the 2040 Foundation. More at adaptflorida.org. In 2013, before Sean got there, the Northeast Florida Regional Council released the Regional Action Plan on sea level rise. This was essentially dipping our toes in rising waters. And the way the community looked at it was that sea level rise is threatening other communities in Florida and that we believe it has the potential to threaten our community here in Northeast Florida. So in that same time period in 2014, the Public-Private Regional Resiliency Committee was formed as a committee of the council. So this is the P2R2 committee. So when P2R2 was formed, 
There was a question asked, who are the movers and shakers in Northeast Florida and who can guide this discussion forward? And the answer was the business community. In Northeast Florida, I think we can confidently say that the business sector, the private sector is extremely important in making these developments happen. So a broad range of industry professionals from insurance, legal fields, engineering, architecture, and many other subject matter expertise gathered in this P2R2 committee to create a list of action items that we could pursue to make Northeast Florida more resilient. Besides convening community conversations on resilience, the Regional Council also collects data and develops tools for planners, like a website that lets people find the threats to specific locations on a map of Northeast Florida. So you have a map to the right, and then you have all of these data layers to the left that you can turn on and off and you can play around with to understand the region's vulnerabilities. So on the top of the data options, we have things like critical facilities, population density, low-income population densities. One of the first water layers that are featured are FEMA flood hazard zones. So flood insurance rate maps that tie into flood insurance rates are featured here. So if, let's say, you're in Northeast Florida and you own a home, you can look at where you are in relation to flood zones. But let's say you want to purchase a home, this could be a great resource to look at in making that investment decision. And then the next data layer that we have is storm surge. So there's been extensive statewide work on understanding storm surge throughout Florida. So what this tool does is puts that into one centralized location and it shows you where storm surge would go on land from category one to a category five storm. And then we have two other data layers as well. We have depth of flooding at different intervals or storm events. So if it's really dark blue, that means there's gonna be much more water. If it's light blue, it'll be less. And then in addition, we have a sea level rise layer that uses NOAA mapping to look at sea level rise from a one foot increase to a six foot increase. Where this tool gets really interesting is that you can overlay those flood layers or those water layers with social layers and wildlife layers. So the Regional Council also recently launched a survey on resilience. What were your findings from that? We asked all sorts of questions like, what are the most important things that your government should be looking at? Is it storm surge? Is it sea level rise? Is it green infrastructure? And we're still organizing those results. But at the end of the survey, we asked some big picture questions. And I think one of the most insightful ones, and this is for all seven counties, there were 672 participants in the survey. We asked, is your community doing enough to address resilience planning? And the overwhelming majority of respondents said no, 83%. 17% said yes. So what this tells us is that there is a long road ahead to figure out how to, how to deal with these situations and these topics. Before we move on, I want to take a second to talk about the Regional Council's relationship with the city of Jacksonville. In the fall of 2019, when the Jacksonville City Council was going over its budget, a councilman, Al Ferraro, suddenly suggested ending the city's annual financial contribution to the Regional Council. I was assigned to that in my first year, and I had a, a difficult time figuring out what they do for our city, and I, I never really got an answer. And as I worked and worked and worked through the last four years, 
I, I found there is some things that they do, but but as as taxpayers, we're not getting our money's worth. At nearly $400,000, Jacksonville's annual contribution is larger than any other member of the regional council and makes up about 20% of its annual operating budget. The city stayed in for now, but the issue is expected to come back up in the 2020 budget cycle. Despite this potential threat to Northeast Florida's most prominent regional effort to address sea level rise and his employer, Sean says there's a lot of positive momentum in Jacksonville right now, starting with the two new committees the city created within the past year to look at sea level rise. There was the Adaptation Action Area Working Group, which was very focused on long-term priority areas for addressing resilience. And then there was the Storm Resiliency and Infrastructure Review Committee that was more focused on short-term objectives of how we can improve our stormwater systems. And a lot of really valuable information came out of the work of both of those committees, and I think it's laying the foundation for how we're going to move forward. The work is continuing this year with a new resilience committee made up of city council members who will hear from experts. Around the state of Florida, there's a lot of momentum right now in Jacksonville and elsewhere. So there's these regional collaboratives forming all around the state. There's the Southeast Florida Climate Compact, the recently created East Central Regional Resilience Collaborative, and the Tampa Bay Resilience Coalition. And then we're also seeing chief resilience officers being hired by different municipal local governments around Florida and counties to address local concerns related to resilience planning. And then there's also leadership at the state level in Tallahassee. So Governor Ron DeSantis, one of his priorities as governor is to address a lot of the scientific issues and environmental issues we're facing as a state and moving into the future. So he appointed a chief science officer at the state level and then also appointed a chief resilience officer who is Dr. Julia Neshawat. If you haven't already listened to our conversation with Julia Neshawat, she's one of the six people we hear from in this podcast. So... There's a lot of action happening right now. We're going to start hearing a lot more about this specific topic. And I think it's all positive as long as we can target in on what's important for our state, what's important for our communities. And I think the, the meaningfulness is going to come out of finding tangible solutions that we can implement in a realistic manner. So do you have any closing thoughts? I think a really meaningful picture that I would advise everyone to go home and look at is this photo of the damage left behind from Hurricane Michael in Mexico Beach out in the Florida Panhandle. So there's this photo of this house, this big house built on stilts. It's elevated off the ground. It's in a coastal area. It looks completely fine. It withstood the impacts of Hurricane Michael. It was built resiliently and it was still standing. But all around that piece of property, the rest of the community essentially looks like it doesn't exist. Everything was just completely devastated. If your house is still standing, but everyone else's collapses, what's the property value of your home or your business? So I encourage everyone to think about all of the dynamics that tie into this conversation when we're talking about resilience. I think it's important to think about what steps can be taken to protect the entire community, not just specific neighborhoods or groups of people. And I think when we start having those robust, meaningful conversations, we're really going to find answers that bring us together. And that's Sean Lahav, the Resiliency Coordinator for the Northeast Florida Regional Council. To see that photo he was talking about of that house on Mexico Beach, check out the web version of this conversation at adaptflorida.org. There you can get to know all six of the people profiled in this podcast. 
Thanks for listening to the Adapt Podcast. I'm Brendan Rivers. Production help came from Lindsay Kilbride with editing by Jessica Palumbo. The theme music was composed and performed by Davin Llewellyn and Keith Phelps from The Conglomerate. Adapt comes from WJCT Public Media with support from the 2040 Foundation and the Arthur Vining Davis Foundations. More on how Northeast Floridians are adapting to sea level rise and climate change is at adaptflorida.org.